And welcome back, footy fans, to another episode of Donnie's Disposals. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess, here back with, unfortunately, the last for this season's VFL Vantage. And joining me, as always, my VFL expert in a wonderful-looking Melbourne, Mr. Brendan Rhodes. Brendan, great to see you, sir. Yeah, g'day, Donnie. Great to be with you again and just enjoying the sunshine. Uh, winter's over. Spring, spring's here. Finals footy was was in the air. It's just about finished now. But, yeah, just, just love getting out and uh, and enjoying the better weather. Well, I would definitely trade you places because it's doing the opposite. It's getting cooler now up here. Up here, we're we are starting to hit into autumn as we get towards winter, which is always the funny part about uh, funny part about watching the sport is that I go through summer watching it while you guys go through winter. So it's always fun. So, well, here we go, Brandon. The VFL men's finals have come. They have gone. A premiership has been handed out. But for those who are maybe watching this and have not seen it, we are going to go through it all through the 10 te- through the through the 10 teams that have qualified with the wild card rounds all the way up to the grand final that just happened this weekend. So really quick, without any spoilers, Brendan, tell me your thoughts on finals this year, because personally, it's a little anticlimactic for me because there were not a lot of scintillating games, shall we say, a lot of absolute crushings by what I would say is the better team most of the time. Well, yeah, that's the that's simply the way it turned out. Every single final was won by the higher ranked team on the ladder, uh, right back to the wild card round where, um, yeah, so in the, in the first first week of the finals, nine and ten went out. Then seven and eight went out, five and six went out, three and four in the prelims. The best two teams of the year played in the grand final and the and the minor premiers created history and got it done. So, yeah, no no games inside 15 points, which was a, a little bit disappointing. And, and, you know, we'll touch on a couple of the other results, which were which were extremely disappointing and were pretty much decided at the selection table. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's the way it goes. So let's let's jump into, like I said, we'll kind of go through it kind of quick because, again, none of these games were really super, super competitive. So we jump back to the wild card round as we see Collingwood smash the Tigers 135 to 60 and the Casey Demons hand north their walking papers with a 101 point win, 134-33. I don't mind the wild card round, but this kind of proves to you that the two extra teams that got wild card rounds really shouldn't have been there, unfortunately. Well, the the I suppose the top six or seven, probably the top seven teams down to Casey were were the real standout teams of the season. So there were seven clear good teams. Um, eight Collingwood got that eighth spot. They they actually got a home final and played it on Richmond's home ground. Um, due to theirs being unavailable, it was being set up at the time for AFLW. And, uh, yeah, the Tigers have, interestingly enough, not beaten Collingwood at Punt Road Oval for since about 1894. And, and it continued along in, in those in those manner. It was uh, it was quite disappointing from the Tigers, actually. They, uh, they were a better team than what they produced on that day. They, uh, they were still pretty even. The score was actually two points in favour of Richmond midway through the third quarter in this game. Uh, it was two, They were two points up at halftime. And when Collingwood kicked a goal, actually it was the, the first minute of the third quarter, Ash Johnson kicked a goal for Collingwood. And it was just complete one-way traffic after that. The Magpies kicked nine goals to one in the third quarter and added another five to none in the last as, as uh, Richmond's season came to a pretty tame conclusion. Uh, unfortunately for, for them, uh, the Magpies, absolutely fantastic on the day. It was uh, four goals to Nathan Kruger, uh, three each to McInnes and Begg. They were, they were really good. And, uh, and yeah, Richmond's captain, Lockie Street, put up a really good effort with 27 touches. But, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, I, I am still in favour of the wildcard rounds, even though the results didn't really suit... Um, didn't really suit the argument. The the other one between uh, Casey Demons and North Melbourne, North actually hit the wall in the last month of the season. Uh, they ended up losing their last five games. They they fell from sixth to tenth. They only made the finals based on um, on Carlton's 
horrible showing in round 22 when they lost to Gold Coast by 21 goals. Uh, and yeah, and, and so it proved their, their AFL season was over. They sent a lot of players in for surgery and, and basically put up a, a very undermanned team and, and cop their right whack. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and that's kind of the way it goes sometimes that they it kind of lives and dies off how the AFL team goes. So we'll jump to it. The first the first round after the wild card sees Footscray hand Casey Demons their walking papers, 148-69, a 79-point win. The Werribee Tigers continue their strong form with a 20-point win over Box Hill, sending Box Hill down in to the semifinals. The Williamstown, Williamstown with a nice win over Collingwood, 82-27, sending the Collingwood Magpies season over with, and the Gold Coast Suns ending a VFLQ clash, 127-84, with a 43-point win over their Queensland, Queensland rivals, sending the Brisbane Lions into the semifinals. Again, I mean, I mean the closest result would be that Werribee-Box Hill match of uh, 20 points. That was the one I was lucky enough to to cover um, for for my live stream for Clutch TV, and and it was a good game of football. Werribee was just a little bit better, a little bit cleaner when it mattered. Uh, Box Hill never went away; they they kept the pressure on all the way to the end. But uh, Werribee never really looked like losing uh, back then. They just had too much experience, too much to play with, and uh, and they took their chances, even though they kicked. Uh, 11 14. There There if, if they'd taken their chances. Uh, but in the end, it was it was Werribee who earned themselves a home preliminary final. Um, the, the, the other games, Gold Coast and the Brisbane Lions were clear top four teams for the entire season. The Suns, the best team all year, uh, averaged 19 goals a game. They kicked 19 goals. They, they put the Brisbane Lions away. Uh, I think it was in the third quarter at this stage. I'll, I'll go back and look. No, it was straight up. They kicked seven goals to four in the first quarter and then just cruised along and, and held them at arm's length to win by uh, seven goals. So a pretty comfortable result there. Um, Collingwood, well, I, I did say that the, the top seven was a class above the rest of the teams in the finals, and, and that's the way it proved. Collingwood was the eighth best team and Williamstown Julie gave them a bit of a spanking. Um, the Magpies, when they haven't lost at Richmond for, what did I say, nearly 130 years, they haven't won at Williamstown for about the same length of time. We don't need to say that they didn't play each other for about 120 of those. Um, <laughs> but, you uh, can't yeah, ruin a good story. So you can't ruin a good stat with a story. can't ruin a good story. We've got to love the stat, don't you? Um, the big disappointment, and it was the hugest disappointment of the entire final series, was the Footscray Casey Demons game. And I've got no problem in saying it here. Uh, they scheduled to play their game on the Saturday. Melbourne, which is which Casey is the feeder club to, um, they had that qualifying final against Collingwood on the following Thursday night. So five days later, the Demons decided to hold the, the AFL demons decided to hold eight eligible VFL players, eight players who could have played in that VFL game were held out and not allowed to play against Footscray when there was one, maybe two positions available in the AFL team. They they showed a massive abundance of caution um, in favour of Melbourne as a, at the expense of Casey and basically well, they basically forfeited an elimination final, which uh, which made a bit of a mockery of things and was really disappointing for the uh, for the Casey Demons, for the VFL officials and players that aren't on the AFL list to have their season ripped away from them like that. Um, full credit, though, to Footscray. They still had to go and get the job done. That was their, I think, their 11th or 12th victory in a row, and they did it in the fine style that you would have expected them to. Mm-hmm, definitely so 
and this it is the one it is the one thing about the when it comes to the VFL and everything like that when they are attached to the AFL club is that they are they really are at the mercy of the AFL club. The AFL club is going to do what they want to do, bugger anything else. And unfortunately, sometimes that happens. And it really you you feel sad for the Casey for the Casey Demon players that aren't going to play that were never going to play AFL because. They, they have a chance to do something in the finals and it's absolutely torn down because the AFL decides it was more, it was so much more important. So you almost kind of look and you hate saying it, but karma a little bit, considering they go out and straight, they, the Melbourne demons went out and yeah, straight Melbourne sets, unfortunately. Straight, yeah. So, so there's, there's a little uh, bit of yeah, karma I'm, I'm for some sorry, people. Demons fans, but you probably, they probably got what they deserved. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I'm, and I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly not anti anti Melbourne by any stretch of the imagination, and I get on really well with with a lot of people out at the Casey Demons, and they're they're the ones I feel sorry for. Uh, blokes like Jimmy Munro and Mitch White, the captain and vice captain, and and Gary O'Sullivan, the uh, the football manager out there, who work absolutely tirelessly for that club. Uh, and Jimmy, indeed, after playing his 150th game during the year, has already uh, announced his retirement, and he's going to go and coach. Uh, back at his home club at, at local level next year. So he's going to be a huge loss um, for the VFL. We're not, we're not sure whether what happened on that day had anything to do with it. He might have been on his way out anyway, but uh, it certainly wouldn't have helped Casey's hopes of hanging on to him for another year. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. So, all right, well, let's, let's not, let's not dwell in it. Let's move on to semi-final weekend as Box Hill get a 20 point win over the Footscray Bulldogs, 95, 75 and Brisbane smash Williamstown by 40, 88, 48. And again, it's top seeds hold serve Box Hill and, and, and the Brisbane lions continue on and move on to two preliminary finals. This one, this one at Box Hill, uh, City Oval, that was the one, remember when we did the finals predictions earlier in the year, that is the only one for the final series that I got wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Footscray on a tear, 12 wins in a row. I thought they would go through and, and win this game. Uh, and they, they they put up a really good effort. They threw everything at Box Hill, but the, but the experienced and smart football brains of the Box Hill Hawks, the been there, done that mentality, the backs to the walls, um, you did. You didn't rate us. We're going to show you, and and that's what they did. It was it was a marvelous performance from the Box Hill Hawks on this day um, to to beat a team game for three months, but had been challenged in any of those games. Uh, and Footscray actually had the upper hand uh, into the lead midway through the third quarter. It looked like. They were going to go on with it. And from there, Box Hill just said no. And they kicked, what they kicked, one, two, three, four, four, five, six of the next seven goals and and turned the match completely on its head and and ran out absolutely magnificent winners to to earn their trip up to the Gold Coast in the preliminary final. And definitely well in. And uh, yeah, as as for the other game, yeah. As for the other game, it was once again a difference between... I said there were seven clear top teams. Um, there was probably... Uh, four, the top four were probably you know, the next level above, potentially even five. And Williamstown, even though they finished fifth, probably at this stage, having come from, I think, second last last year, they finished 19th or 20th in season 2022, uh, to come up and finish fifth, they were around about that mark. They ran into a they ran into a uh, a really good team. They'd beaten Brisbane in Brisbane only a month earlier, but um, that just meant the Lions were ready for them on this occasion and uh, and ran out pretty convincing winners. Uh, a fine season for Williamstown came to an end. Yeah, unfortunately. But the good part is that a team like that, it's fantastic to see coming from coming from a horrible season the season before to do that. So there's there's a lot of things to look positive for and and to be in unattached team in the VFL and to make finals is actually very, very impressive. So on the hat tip to the Seagulls on that one, we jump to the preliminary finals. We get to see who will match up in the grand final. And as you said, one, two, both get on as the two seed Werribee Tigers knock off the Brisbane lions by 30 
94-64. And the Gold Coast Suns survive a scare by the Hawks. The Hawks really took it up to the Suns up in the Gold Coast. This was a fantastic game. I remember watching, I remember watching this game and thinking, this is some really, really good football. And it just shows you the depth of the Gold Coast Suns roster when Marbio Chol is going absolutely bunta in this preliminary final and can't get a game for the top for for the big club of who now sees new management so we'll have to see wh- whether Marbio Cho moves on but a, a fantastic performance by the Suns to edge a very 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 tough Box Hill Hawks yeah, they, they led all day the Gold Coast Suns kicked two kicked two goals in the first three minutes both by uh, so one by Marbio Cho and one by Elijah Holland so they were they were uh, two goals up very early on, three goals up by the 10-minute mark, and that's basically what they held for the rest of the game. They were never able to get further in front. I think their biggest margin midway through the last quarter might have been about 22, 23 points, something something along those lines. But the Hawks, uh, they were never able to regain the lead. They got back within a point, uh, a point two points a quarter time, um, so after copying that early early burst from the Suns, so they they stuck with a super powerful team uh, for the entire game, and they can be very very proud in what they achieved. Box Hill, particularly without, um, I suppose there wasn't a lot of expectations around the Hawks this year, uh, particularly uh, with the the turnover they had at the AFL level. Hawthorne, of course, being their their parent club. Uh, this is this is the best alignment and the one that really has stood the test of time. Uh, it's it's the only original one still standing back since season 2000. Um, it just keeps being renew, renewed and they work so well together. Um, but what they've done this year under Zane Littlejohn in the VFL and Sam Mitchell in the AFL, they they can be very very proud of of making a preliminary final in the VFL and uh, and they're they're actually the only team. Despite finishing 16th on the AFL ladder, they're the only team that beat both Collingwood and Brisbane Lions this season. Mm-hmm. Ah, pretty impressive thing. Like I said, I, I think going on AFL just a little bit, I think Hawthorne is much further along than I think some people give them credit for. Will they make finals next year? We'll have to see, but there's definitely some great building blocks. And again, this Box Hill Hawks team just only helps with that development and let's jump to it the grand final that happened this last weekend i sat down and had a, and watched this game fantastic game of footy at icon park and the gold coast suns get their first taste of premiership and that's going to be in the vfl as they beat Werribee by 19 112 93 an absolutely cracking game of football it has it had runs for both teams, these were the two best teams most of the year. So, I mean, we had to say this was a great game of footy. I wish it was just a little bit closer, but, I mean, the Suns were just so good this year. They were absolutely unbelievable. Uh, they have a few extra spots on their list, uh, which came which came from the concessions to try and help the AFL club a couple of years ago. But uh, they needed to keep everyone healthy and everyone up and about, and that's what they did. And, and for most of the season, they fielded 19, 20, 21, 22 AFL double, AFL listed players out of 23 uh, in the game. So uh, that that allowed them to, uh, without the injuries, they didn't have a lot of injuries at either at either level, and that allowed them to get some real continuity going, especially at the VFL level. And uh, and yeah, this this was, I think, Werribee. A couple of people from Werribee on Sunday night declared that Gold Coast were probably the strongest VFL team or close to the strongest VFL team that we've ever seen. And um, it's, pre- it's pretty hard to argue that fact. You, know, you had a forward line that, um, that had three players kick over 30 goals and two more kick over 50 for the season. Joint Frosty Miller medalist for the leading goal kicker in Chris Burgess and Brody McLaughlin. The other three, as you mentioned, Marby or Child, who kicked five in the preliminary final. Sam Day, who is one of only two foundation sons that are still at the club from when it was founded back in 2009. Um, and Alex Sexton, who has played, I think, well over 100 AFL games as well. So they, they've kicked, what's that come up to, close to 150 goals uh, between the five of them. Uh, just a, 
just a one actually 190 goals between the five of them which just sums up how strong they were. Uh, then you had a back line of uh, Caleb Graham at fullback, who's played the best part of 100 AFL games. Um, unfortunately, their captain, James Cheetis, uh, was missing. He got suspended during the week, so uh, extremely unlucky uh, he was to miss out. But um, they had Graham, they had Jai Farrah, uh, Joel Jeffrey, who is actually good enough to kick 10 goals in a game last year has gone into the back line this year and done a wonderful job. Uh, and then in, then in the midfield, Werribee probably had the stronger midfield, the more experienced, definitely. Um, but young guys like Charlie Constable, who was the acting captain, um, Elijah Hollands, the number seven draft pick from three years ago, uh, who came second in the Norm Goss medal for the best player on the ground, um, was just outstanding. Uh, then there was, I think, Jeremy Sharp coming off half back. He went forward, kicked the winning goal. Yeah, I could run through and name them all. Uh, they they only had three VFL listed players. They're all academy boys who who potentially have big futures. Uh, none bigger than a young fella by the name of Leonardo Lombard, who is who actually plays in a premiership in his third VFL game, and he's still a month short of his 17th birthday. Can, can you believe that? The, the second youngest uh, premiership player in VFA, VFL history um, as, as far as our records go. So yeah, just a stunning performance. And, and, he, and he kicked Gold Coast's last goal as well with a wonderful snap right in front of the, the adoring Gold Coast cheer squad who flew down from Queensland in numbers to, to see their team get over the line. Yeah. Um, yeah, Donnie, they, 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 were, they were just fantastic, um, the Suns. They, they, it, it was a real arm wrestle early on. Um, nothing between the two teams till about midway through the second quarter. Werribee got a little bit of a break. They kicked a couple of goals in a row. Um, Jack Henderson put them 10 points in front, I think it was, at the 17-minute at the mark of the second quarter. And it just seemed to, to flick something. In, in the Gold Coast team and, and we know what they do, what they can do when they flick the switch and they kick four goals in the next seven minutes. Uh, they took a 10-point lead of their own into halftime and then they blasted the first four of the third quarter to get out by 37 points and it was pretty much all she wrote. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it just shows you the strength and the depth. I mean, Werribee, they did everything that they could. They just never gave up. And it was just, there's just so much talent on that Gold Coast team. There's not much you can do. And again, and, and I mean, and I think you even had, had kind of brought it up too. I mean, the the player of the game, the 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 medal for the player of the game, the best and fairest on the ground was a Werribee Tiger. So, I mean, it just shows you how impressive almost the evenness of the Gold Coast Suns team that the, the, the player of the game, the best and fairest on the ground was a Werribee Tiger, but the Gold Coast win that when it's not often that a team in a losing side gets a best and fairest. Well, it's only the second time in the history of the medal, which has now been running for 39 years. And, and to be honest with you, it was probably, uh, uh, it, it would go down in the conversation as one of the greatest individual grand final performances in, in VFL history from, uh, from Sean Manor, uh, the wingman of the, of the Werribee Tigers, who 26 years of age, we wonder why he hasn't got an opportunity on an AFL list as yet. Um, he played in Richmond's VFL losing grand final in 2017, didn't get a game in the 2019 victory over Williamstown and went back to his local club, Lavington, and kicked five goals and won best on ground in that one. So so he's a big game player. But, but how is this for numbers in your, in your second VFL grand final at the age of 26, coming up against the team that I just spoke about, Sean Manor, uh, 19 kicks, eight handballs for 27 disposals, eight clearances, 10 tackles, and six goals too. What an absolutely stunning performance it was uh, from Sean Manor. He was absolutely everywhere. He kicked them on the outside of his boot. He, he kicked them out of midair. He kicked them on the run. He, kicked, he took marks and kicked goals on the lead. And Gold Coast, I reckon, tried six or seven different players on him throughout the course of the day and could do absolutely nothing about it. So it, it, it's a massive credit to him that he was able to do that against possibly one of the best teams that this competition's seen. Um, 
but also to, to keep his team in the game for so long. Um, they had they had other stars as well. Matt Hansen, uh, who played his 100th game a couple of weeks ago, uh, he had 31 disposals. They actually had, I think, 70 or 80 more touches. They won all the almost all the stat categories, Werribee, but it was just the efficiency and the and the uh, the connectiveness of the Gold Coast Suns that was able to to hold them at bay and get on those couple of little runs that was a, that was enough to get the job done. Yeah, and, and you got to say that six goals from a winger is so so impressive and, and a great performance. And who knows? Maybe maybe something like this could maybe get him a look see in, in a in a rookie draft. We'll, we'll have to see. It'll be it'll be fascinating. But I mean, you'd, you'd he, he kept so. him he in. Also it. had a game. He, he had a game earlier on in the year against Southport, who were last year's grand finalists, where he had forty touches and kicked four goals. Uh, he had twenty five and kicked seven in a game against Sandringham. If Finishes the season. Remember, as a wingman, with uh, with <laughs> forty goals for the season, um, which ranks him, I think, in the top five or six in the in the goal kicking for the year, over top of most of the key forwards. Um, he he polled nineteen votes to finish fifth in the Liston Medal last week, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on. Uh, he made the team of the year. I think it was the second time, maybe the first, and. And yeah, all the talk after the game, in, especially from the Gold Coast rooms, was why is this bloke not on a list? So, so hopefully someone uh, takes the punt. Uh, I'm not sure if Gold Coast actually can because they've got a lot of uh, academy boys coming through that are going to chew up all their draft picks this year. But surely someone gives him a chance and just just looks past the fact that he's 26 years old. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes it's, it's you can age like fine wine and just get better with age. So I'm, I'm like I said, I'm crossing my fingers because incredible, incredible performance. I mean, you got you almost got to say it. Werribee only lost by 19, and if it weren't if it weren't for that hell of a performance, who knows how ugly this game could have been? So that's it, sir. VFL and VFLW are both done for the year. Like I said, this is kind of a bittersweet conversation between you and I because. We will have no VFL to talk about for several months now. So I, I let's let's do a let's do a little bit of recap. Let's go back to it. I, I again, this is my first year covering the VFL, so I want to just enjoy this. But we'll start off before we hit the time machine and go back into the season. You you kind of brought it up. I believe it's the Liston Medal, correct? Is the best and fairest for the entire right. season. Uh, who ended up winning it, and, and and was this was this a well earned win, or is this did it come out of nowhere? Uh, it was a terrific count, that's for sure. Uh, the winner was uh, Jared Lyons from the Brisbane Lions, uh, <laughs> would you believe? So there's a, there's a little bit of a um, another piece of history. The first we've we've just had the first non-Victorian team win the VFL VFA Premiership, and we had the first non-Victorian player win the Liston Medal uh, last week. So it was a dominant season by the Queensland by the two Queensland AFL-based clubs. Um, and Jared Lyons, he polled 26 votes in the count. He, he went on a run through the middle of the year and built himself up a bit of a lead. Didn't actually score a vote in the last four games of the season for Brisbane. One of those he missed because he was playing in the AFL team. And, and he is still in the AFL team at the moment uh, as, the, as the substitute. He's been the substitute for the AFL throughout the finals and backing up in the VFL games. So with that season done, there's every chance to expect that he'll be playing in in the AFL Grand Final this um, uh, this Saturday against Collingwood. Uh, whether that is in the 22 or as a sub, uh, I would expect him to be playing. But yeah, he was fantastic. Um, another Queenslander, Boyd Woodcock from the Southport Sharks, he came home with a rush, uh, got back to within 22 within two votes with 24. Had a big game in the last round against Collingwood, but unfortunately the Sharks lost that one by 10 goals and he missed out on getting a vote, which left him to finish second for the second year in a row. Uh, but a wonderful season from him as well. A former Port Adelaide listed player, didn't get an AFL game there, but certainly another one who is a who is a genuine star and probably should be on an AFL list somewhere uh, at 23 or 24 years of age, he needs to be given another chance. Uh, Tom Gribble from Werribee, the superstar, he had 29 touches in the grand final. He he made, he had 21 votes. He finished third. 
uh, here, which means he was just five votes away from becoming the first player ever to win three listed medals, which in, and it would have been in a row, and it would have been a wonderful achievement, but uh, uh, not quite able to be. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, Sean Manor uh, also in the top five in in what was a, a terrific count. Yeah, it's definitely it's great to see. It's fascinating that it's four rounds at the end of the year and still is able to, to hold it on. So such a strong season there. So let's, like I said, let's have a little bit of fun with this. I know, and I know when I sent my script, we were chatting about this pre Mike before we started the podcast is I wanted to have some fun and pick our games of the year. So we're going to do both the men's and the women's games of the year. So I know that you said you were still kind of thinking about this a little bit. So if you want, I will go, I will go first for the, for the game of the year. For me, the game of the year, for me personally, unfortunately, the finals didn't give us that instant classic. So I go back to round 15, Brisbane v. Richmond, where Richmond gets the winner after the siren, 59-58. And at the time, Brisbane was roaring. I mean, pardon the pun there. But an absolute, absolute fantastic game here. This was one of two after this after the siren wins by the Tigers this season and both kicked by the same player. So... I, I remember when we talked about this, I had to watch the highlights over again because I couldn't believe it that we had, we had the, the kick out of the siren is always a great one. So for me, game of the round, round 15 between the Brisbane Lions and Richmond Tigers where the Tigers win by one. So They actually had four games decided after the final siren. Uh, amazingly, that, that went pretty much their way. The two where the winning goal was kicked, by Jacob Bauer, the one you mentioned, and the one a month earlier against GWS. They also had two others where um, one, they were in front at the final siren, and the Essendon player, Tom Phillips, his kick went out of bounds on the full after the siren, so Richmond held on the win. And the other one was the draw with Geelong early on in the year, uh, where, again, the Cats had a kick after the final siren, but it fell short and Richmond held on for a draw. So that, that certainly played a big role in them making the top 10 at the end of the year. And, and yeah, so they, they certainly knew how to give their supporters heart attacks. But I, I'm going to – I find it hard to go past the, the two best teams in the competition for the game of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't one I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to be able to call, but – I'll go back to when they played each other in round eight, um, which was the game at Werribee. Uh, The Suns were undefeated at the time. Werribee were just starting to get themselves rolling. I think they'd lost two of their first three games. By this stage, I think they were up to um, three and three, so they were back to equal. Gold Coast dominated the second quarter. They kicked eight goals to one. They led the game by 42 points at halftime, and you just thought, they're just going to roll on how far Gold Coast. And then all of a sudden, in the second half, Werribee just chipped away. They chipped away. They pegged it back. They pegged it back. And they ended up getting there. And they, they got up. Uh, I think they hit the lead with about three minutes to go. And they held on like their life depended on it and got a two-point win uh, in that game, which was uh, a 91-89, to 89, if I remember the score mm-hmm. uh, correctly. And it, it it really set Werribee off to, to go on that run of 17 straight victories, uh, which only came to an end in the grand final. It gave them the belief to know that they could beat anybody from any position. And, and that's what they did for most of the rest of the year. Um, for the Suns, they they went back to the drawing board. They learned from it. that They, they learned that they've got to stick to their processes and keep playing regardless of how far in front they would be. And, and they just took all before them for the rest of the year. They, they were only beaten once more for the year. That was, a, that was the upset of the season when they lost by a point to Essendon at Windy Hill in about round 16 or 17. Um, but, yeah, both teams took so much out of that game. And, uh, and, and it's one that will certainly go down in the owls for a long time. Definitely, for sure. And, and you were super close. It was actually round nine. I had to, I had to double check because I, I was looking yeah, through it. So I was like, I, I know I was going through and I thought I would have remembered. I, I, I knew I remembered that one because I remember we were talking when we were talking about it during the season that it being like an instant classic that one you just couldn't miss. 
but a fa- fantastic one for sure. So let's go to the women's game of the year. I want to be sure that we do both sides. So do you have a women's game of the year that you thought definitely needs to be discussed? It's absolutely amazing season as, as we spoke about when the season was going on. So you could, you, you could probably pick, I reckon, um, 20 or 30 games that could go down as the game of the year. But I'm going to actually go all the way back to, uh, to round one um, for the Box Hill Hawks versus Essendon uh, when they played a draw at, uh, at the NEC hangar uh, way, back in, way back in the last week of March. They played a draw last year as well. And they they just they just slugged it out toe to toe. It was Mia Ray Clifford, the, the the captain of Essendon. She became the first player in the competition to play 100 VFLW games, getting there even before a club got to 100 games in the competition, which which just tells you how durable she's been uh, over the time. And yeah, the the game was just just tight all day. Box Hill would feel that they should have won. It ended up being, I think, 4-3-27 to 3-9 at 27. Mm-hmm. So the chances that Box Hill gave away probably were what kept it close. But it was a it was a game that, that, that really set, set the tone for what was going to be the closest VFLW season ever. Definitely for sure. And, and I find, I find it fascinating. Your game in the, your game of the year is round one. My game of the year was the last game of the year. And that's the grand final, because I think when I, I remember when we were discussing this going into the grand final, I think it was kind of almost assumed everybody just expected Collingwood to, to, to get the win. They had been one of the best teams, in the entire competition Port Melbourne had kind of been the team that had had this great run into the finals and for Port Melbourne to get the win, their first, their first ever VFLW premiership in a fantastic game of footy. In a, like I said, it was the surprise. It was the shock of, of the, of the finals. So for me, this was a classic one because I love an underdog story. I love when a team that many people tipped against gets a fine and finds a way to, to, to pull out a game. So I, I have to, I will go with Port Melbourne beating Collingwood in the grand final and getting their premiership. I thought that was fantastic. I remember watching that game live. Absolutely magnificent football. It just shows you the progression, the VFLW and for this season to, to come down to such a great game at the end of the year, it was just, it was such a, a perfect ending to, as you said, the closest VFLW season ever. You certainly can't argue. I cannot argue with that point. And and your next question, uh, you've basically given it away for what for what the next question is. Um, uh, for me, because that is because that for me is the story of the year. Um, Port Melbourne finished tenth last season on the ladder. They only won three games for the year. Uh, they worked really hard in the off season. They picked up a couple of key recruits, a couple impressively from last year's undefeated Essendon Premiership team uh, when they when they lost their spots on the AFLW list at the end of last season seven. Uh, they ended up at Port Melbourne in uh, Federica Fru, who was the leading goal kicker last year, and, and Lauren Caruso, who was actually an emergency for last year's grand final. And, has, and the story of redemption is that she goes from emergency in last year's grand final to the Lisa Hardiman medal for best on ground in this year's grand final uh, for Port <laughs> Melbourne. And yeah, everyone everyone just thought that, that Collingwood been there, done that. They've been the best team in the competition probably since they won the flag in 2019. Um, they, they missed out on playing in a... Uh, they missed out on the 2020 season. They made it all the way to the grand final, undefeated in 2021, only for the grand final to be cancelled. Um, they slipped off a little bit last year, uh, finishing sixth. They got themselves back to the top, and everyone just thought with their with their experience and, and being, they'd been there, done that, the same sort of thing that I said about uh, the Box Hill men's team um, earlier on. Uh, that, that they would just have the have the capacity to to go on and get the job done, but but Port Melbourne is a club who exists to win premierships, and and they are the the um, top of the tree in the VFL. Seventeen flags in the VFA VFL history, which is which is more than any other club 
uh, in the competition. I think the next best might be Williamstown on about 14. Um, and yeah, in just their third year in the in the in the Rebel VFLW, they're the premiers. So that's clearly the story of the year for me. And, and well done to to Sean Bunkle, the coach, Claire Dyett, the captain, uh, uh, Paul Malcolm, the outgoing CEO, and and everyone there at Port Melbourne for for bringing a program on so quickly. And and when they made the finals in their first year, dropped off in the second, and they and they come back and win a flag. Just amazing stuff. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I it was the same thing. I, I literally had pretty much the same thing as poor Melbourne getting the, the as the story on the women's side because as as you had said, still still a younger, still a younger squad, only three years. And and to and to go up against the mighty Collingwood team again that everybody I know you and I when we had discussed it said that if the pies get to the grand, the pies will get to the grand final. There was no way they, they were going to lose it. They were such the, they were the class of the entire competition. So for the shocker, that was the grand final win. And you gotta, you gotta tip your cap to it. I mean, you, you gotta play your best game on the last day and they found a way to do it. And for me, then I transitioned now the best story of the men, it's kind of anticlimactic, but I think I, I got to tip my hat to gold coast because it, as 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 disappointing as their AFL um, run has been, because they they just have never found a way into the finals, for them to finally kind of take the lid off the competition and to win a premiership. I know it's the VFL, so some people will kind of downtake it, but this is great for the club because this gets this gets some winning a winning culture there. It starts to maybe get to that point where. Who knows? Maybe the demo, maybe the demo hardware hire in the AFL with this win now sees some of these VFL guys get their chance next season under a new head coach. And who knows? Maybe this is maybe this is the jump starter for the AFL to maybe make the finals in the next few seasons. So for me, the Gold Coast Suns being so dominant all year, being one of the best, being the best in the VFL almost the entire season, it, it's hard not to say that they aren't the story of the year. But you could also say Werribee with, with everything that they did also going only having two losses in the regular season and just being so good for an unattached team. Both of those teams, you can almost say are almost co great stories of the VFL season this year. Exactly right. Whoever won, whoever won the game on Sunday would have been classed as the story of the year. And, and you've said it exactly right for, for Gold Coast's players and, and speaking to, large numbers of them and the coach after the after the game on Sunday for uh, for an article that's that's going to go up at some stage this week just quotes it was all about the connection and knowing what was in front of them the history that they could make uh, uh, by being the first group of players ever to take a premiership to Gold Coast and winning culture you mentioned it and that is that was their basically their home home for the season. Create a winning culture because they haven't had it in their 13 or 14 years of existence. Um, they've never made the finals in the AFL. They'd, they'd made it four or five times in the knee, four times, I think, but had never gone all the way to grand final. They had a preliminary final performance last year when they won nine of their last 10 games, the loss being the prelim. And this year they've gone one step further um, they've they've won what was it 19 out of 19 out of 21 games of the year. The two games they lost were by two points and one point. An absolute dominant thing. And and as and as they said, they know how much it means to them and how much it means to the club. It means so much more to Gold Coast to go and win this flag than to put the players out to pasture, give them a rest and get back early uh, for pre-season training uh, in, in November. The, the, these boys take an extra take an extra month off um, because they've trained right through now and, and they're still going to be fit and ready to go. And the big thing is now Gold Coast knows how to win big games. Even at VFL level, that's a big game. They've worked out how to win it and... Uh, and yeah, it's it's onwards and upwards for them as as an entire club now. Um, it was Werribee that had won. Yeah, amazing. They've only won one premiership in their history, dating back to 1965. That was in '93, so 30 years ago. They won 17 games in a row, which is a club record. Just just a stunning performance from them all the way to the last game of the year. And 
and you've really got to tip your hat to them. They they set the goal. They set themselves for this probably about 2015 or 2016. Um, they got a group together and they developed and moulded them over the course of you know six, seven, eight years. They probably underachieved in 2021 and 2022. Uh, that was by that was their own fault by admission. They didn't. They 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 were looking too much at the scoreboard rather than the process. They they changed to just focusing on the process and forgetting about what was on the scoreboard this year. And it, it very nearly paid the ultimate dividend. So, so kudos to them. And hopefully they all come back for one more crack because uh, the transient nature of the AFL clubs, um, you can see quite a few of those Suns players either moving up into the AFL team or moving on to other clubs for, for opportunity. And and you, you, if, if they do come back and have another crack, you can expect them to be right up there once again. Yeah, definitely for sure. And and that actually leads to a great transition because I want to have a little bit of fun. I know that I I know this isn't always easy, especially with state leagues, because as you said, it's very volatile, especially it all does depend on how AFL, how the AFL goes, rookie drafts, the all all of that. So I want you I want you to have a little bit of fun. I want you to give me a bold prediction for the met for the for for the VFL next year. Give me a bold prediction, something you could see happening that that do we should be looking out for next season? We can we see every year a team spike from right down near the bottom of the ladder. Uh, this year, this year it was Werribee. Uh, sorry, not, not Werribee. Werribee came from tenth to make the grand final. Williamstown came from twentieth to finish fifth. Um, that they were the big stories uh, of the year. Um, you know where that where they came from in their development. So it, it might not be the complete bold prediction but there but i can see a team from the bottom four uh really making a spike and charging up the ladder uh i'm, I'm looking at the sydney swans for that who who made the top four in 2022 went out in straight sets a lot of injuries this year at the top of the list uh which really affected the the vfl team and they went 0-10 at the start of the year the season was over um, so I expect with a with a better run of injuries, I expect the Swans to really spike and and get right back up in the upper echelon of the competition. Um, I can see potentially they get the recruiting right, and with another year of development under them, I can see Port Melbourne pushing forward once again. They they finished I think 17th or 18th last year. They still only finished 15th this year. But they were a much, much better team this season, and they can just they can just take that next step. I can see them making the finals as well, and uh, and I think the Southport Sharks uh, will bounce very quickly as well. So there, there's three teams uh, that finished outside the top ten this year that that um, could very easily just push into the ten, but push into the upper echelons of the competition and relaunch next year. Definitely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have some fun with mine. Is Mine's going to come with a tiny bit of a caveat. I think Werribee can be premiers next year if they can hold on to the best and fairest from, from the grand final this year. Again, I hope he doesn't. Like, it's one of those weird caveats. Like, I hope he finds his way onto an AFL list because as talented as the young man was, I mean, six goals from the wing on a, in a grand final, absolutely bonkers. But if they can keep most of that team together, I think they are legitimately right there because I worry that because of how good Gold Coast was this year, I think some AFL teams try to pick off a Marbio Chol. They try to pick off an Elijah Hollins. They try to get a Con Charlie Constable. I think some of those some of those top level guys, I think they're either going to find their way into the AFL squad under new under new coach Damien Hardwick or they're going to get opportunities with some of the other AFL clubs that are looking for something in that, in that vein. So I, I'm going to go off a limb. I think gold coast gets picked apart a little bit. And I think where benefits from it, if they can keep the team together. So my bold prediction, where could find themselves again in another grand final next year, if they can keep this team together. So that is going to do it. Uh, Brendan, a fantastic season. Again, I want to take the time in the last to thank you. This has been so much fun. Uh, your your knowledge of this 
competition has been fantastic. I know it hasn't been easy when it comes to it because there's so many teams in the VFL. There's so many games and doing a monthly review. Sometimes you can get kind of lost in everything that's happening. And then you add the women's competition as well. It's, it's, was it was a Herculean task at times. So I want to thank you so much because your knowledge has been fantastic. It's been great to sit down and chat with you this year. And I hope that you can return again next year for this because this was such, such a fun time chatting with you when it comes to learning about the VFL and VFLW. Let's wait for the council to go past. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you very much, Donnie. There, there, there are a couple of other things that I, that I will touch on before we before we close off. The second, and the second big story of the year, of course, was, was Ben Jolly, who we touched on during during the year, becoming only the third player to play 300 VFL games uh, and then breaking the record uh, at 303. Um, it's something that we, obviously 303, it's something that we've never seen before. He got to 305 before the calf gave out on him. So we don't know whether there'll be any more, but he's he's an absolute legend of this competition and we really needed to belly uh, to Ben Jolly. So absolutely special uh, stuff from him and whatever he does, Next year, we know he'll do it to the to the greater professionalism and ability, uh, and and also send congratulations to Charlotte Simpson, Jordan Mifsud, and Akela Peterson, who we're talking about history being made this year. Those three young ladies tied for the Lamb Pierce Medal for the the FLW Best and Fairest last uh, uh, last Monday night in a count where eight players were within one vote card of the win. So. You want you want a thrilling camp. Uh, there it was. So congratulations to those three uh, young ladies as well on on being the first three-way tie in the in the Lambert Pierce Medal. Uh, but yes, Donnie, yeah, thank you very much for the great words. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to to bring our great game of Oz rules to to the United States. It, it's a wonderful thing. Um, that people like yourself and and I said him early in the year, uh, Brian Barish who who is an absolute uh, champion bloke uh, over there, taking our great our great game over over to people in the United States of America. Um, we certainly do appreciate everything that you do, and uh, and we look forward to, to continuing on next year and and growing the game uh, right around the world. Yeah, I definitely I, I I I do it for the love of the game. I know I go back and forth with Craig all the time. He's absolutely fantastic. I know him and I have both recently been added onto the Afana website, um, along with our our great buddies out of California, the Americans watching the footy. So it's kind of an honor for Afana to reach out and be like, Hey, we would like to we'd like to be able to showcase your podcast on the Afana website, which is it's a great tool for for anybody throughout the world that wants to keep a hold of get a hold of Australian rules content and for the podcast to be able to be on there is absolutely, it's an honor, honestly. So, but it's just been an amazing time. I've had so much fun. The state leagues have been just as much fun as covering the AFL because there's so many cool things. There's so much history amongst all these clubs that it's just been incredible. So that is going to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, the VFL season is over. But we're not done. There's still more to go. I still have the sample and the waffle still coming up later on this week. And, of course, we still will keep an eye on the AFLW and the AFL offseason after the grand final. Unfortunately, this year we will not be able to do a stream. I was hoping that producer Ross would be able to get a stream of the grand final this year. Unfortunately, a few scheduling issues have popped up on that. But I will be tweeting. I will be keeping an eye on the grand final. So hope to interact with any of you footy fans on a grand final day, hopefully for a fantastic last game of the season, but that is going to do it for our last VFL vantage of this year. Thank you so much for watching again, Brandon, have a wonderful day. Enjoy the summer um, summer months for you there. And we will reconvene a couple of weeks before the VFL season starts and we will preview next season. I can't wait. The time hopefully will go very, very quick. That will do it for another episode of Donnie's Disposal. We will be back again with more footy coverage very, very soon.